Well, after that introduction, I felt like I should dance onto the stage there, and <laughs> it's not going to be much of a show. Um, Hey, if you're here in person this morning, good morning. It's lovely to see you here. Uh, if you're watching us live online right now, I know there are many who uh, tune in on Sunday mornings locally and all across the country and the world to watch online. So good morning to all of you, wherever you find yourselves this morning. And I know there are some of you now who are watching uh, this service online later in the week. Uh, so good Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is to you. Thanks for taking some time to join us here this morning at Connect Church. Um, so where I'm from, uh, not from Washington originally, some of you may be surprised to hear, I'm from, I'm not even from New England, I'm from Old England, okay? So where I'm from in the United Kingdom, uh, I discovered this week that uh, back in the 60s, in fact 1965, um, something was set up called the Law Commission, the Law Commission. And the reason the Law Commission was set up was because they needed an independent body to go through and update the country's legal system and um, really just kind of reform some of the laws that were somewhat outdated. In fact, it turned out there were 2,000 outdated laws uh, that were changed or repealed because these laws had been going back centuries and now no longer had any relevance in modern day society. But surprisingly enough, even even though they changed and removed a lot of the laws that were no longer relevant, some still exist to this day. So did you know that in England, it is still illegal to enter the Houses of Parliament while wearing a suit of armour? So don't try it, okay? You could very well get arrested. Uh, if you don't know where the Houses of Parliament are, I think we've got a picture of them. There they are. That's the uh, Houses of Parliament. So uh, that law was established in 1313 and still stands to this day. Turns out it is still legal to shoot a Scotsman under certain circumstances. So in England, you can still shoot a Scotsman. Now, you can't just shoot any Scotsman, okay? You can only do it in York, the city of York, and uh, you can only do it with a crossbow, uh, and you can't do it on Sundays. So the law still stands that if you're in York and you see a Scotsman any day other than Sunday, uh, you can shoot him with a, with a crossbow. If he is playing those, I can understand why you'd want to maybe shoot him, but uh, that apparently is still a law. Uh, it is still law in England that all beached whales and sturgeons must be offered to the reigning monarch. That law was put in place by Edward II in 1324. We remember him very well. And uh, he decided that any beached whale around the entire British Isles uh, would belong initially to the reigning monarch. That is still a law that stands in Great Britain today. Crazy laws. I think we could probably look at some of the laws here in America uh, that are in place. Some of the laws sometimes we hear that are being written and the amount of work and money that's going into them and think, this is crazy. And if we're honest, at times it can cause us to lose a little bit of faith in our politicians and our governments to become a little bit more cynical. But the reality is that despite there are some of these crazy laws and maybe even abuses of law making, the reality is I think it's still great that we have the government in place, that the politicians are who they are, that they're not a bad thing because if it wasn't for them, you'd all still re be reporting to King George. And uh, we know how crazy he was. So, so it, it, government, politics, it's a good thing. 
But sadly, right now, we find ourselves in a climate where it's becoming more and more divisive, more and more polarising, more and more angry. And, and it's, just, it's just not fun seeing what's going on in the world today. And here at Connect Church, we've decided to address this because we don't want to see that creep into the church and have an impact on us as followers of Jesus. So for the last two weeks, we've been talking about this. Today is our final Sunday. Some of you are thinking, thank goodness for that. Today's our last Sunday talking about this. But we felt like we needed to address this issue because as followers of Jesus, we can be influenced by this. And I don't want to be influenced. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be influenced by some of the negative things in the world outside of the church. And not just that, not only do I not want to be influenced by some of these things, I actually want to be an influence to those outside of the church. I want to show people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus that we, as followers of Jesus, we can actually live differently. We can do things differently. We can be the hope that the world so desperately needs right now. They can see that in us. So three, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the idea that as a group of people, we can be, as followers of Jesus, people who may disagree politically but still love unconditionally and still pray for unity. We can do that. Last week that we learned that one of the ways that we can do this is if we're willing to be people who, who will listen, love, and learn. We will look for the people in our lives who maybe think differently than us or, or uh, believe different things than us, but we'll be people who will choose to, to listen, to love, and to learn. But all of this, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning... All of this can only happen if you and I are willing to ask ourselves this question. Am I, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? So in this season especially, are we willing to put our faith filter ahead of our political filter? Because I don't think Jesus came to be a, a footnote to a political platform. I don't think he came to support an existing structure. As we found out last week, he didn't come to take sides. He came to take... Great, you are all paying attention last week. He came to take over. That's what we talked about last week. Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over. So if we're really going to put our, our faith filter ahead of our political filter, it's going to require us to be honest with ourselves and with others. We will need to acknowledge that when it comes to voting in November, all of us, all of us are going to choose the candidate that we feel our Christian conscience and our beliefs lead us to vote for. But in reality, none of the parties, the Republicans, the Democrats, the Libertarians, the Whigs, the Federalists, whoever's out there, okay, none of them have everything right when it comes to viewing things through our lens of faith. And that's okay. That's okay because we are not party people first. I'm not talking about freshman year in college party people. I'm talking about party people from a political... We're not party people first. We are kingdom people first and foremost. That's 
where we find our identity as followers of Jesus. And I want to finish out this series this morning by really talking about what that looks like. What it looks like to be a, a kingdom person first. Somebody who says, I, as, as a follower of Jesus, I'm committed to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus first and foremost, over and above everything else. And as we talk about this this morning, we're going to discover this isn't a new idea. This isn't some radical thinking that I'm trying to introduce in 2020 to, to try and solve the uh, division and this unity that's going on in the world and, and even in the church if we're not careful. No, this is an idea that began 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago when a group of people started to gather together to talk about this, this Jesus that they'd heard about. This Jesus who had lived and died and risen again. This group of people who back then were known as the Ecclesia. That's a Greek word that literally just means the gathering or the assembly. It was a congregation that eventually would become known as the church. But even in those early days, still weren't even known as the church. This new movement, it was, it was so radical... It was so disturbing, it was, it was unsettling, it was, it was actually so dangerous right then amongst the empire of Rome that the empire decided to strike back with less lightsabers this time. But if you've seen the Colosseum in Rome, if you've watched movies like The Gladiator, you'll know that back then, being a Christian, it wasn't a very fun thing to be. Christians, followers of Jesus, people gathering in the name of Jesus, following these kingdom teachings of Jesus, they were coming under persecution because they refused to toe the line of one political party or the status quo of the world in which they lived. And they were going against the culture. We've talked about this a lot as we've looked at the teachings of Jesus and the letters that Paul wrote in the New Testament, but things changed radically after Jesus came. Here's an example of kingdom thinking this morning. Paul, when he was writing to that early church, he highlighted some of those radical new kingdom views. He was writing to a group of Christ followers in, in Galatia. And in Galatians, the letter of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 28, he says this, There is neither Jew nor Gentile. So Paul is bringing in this new kingdom thinking that Jesus had introduced. And in this new kingdom... This new church that was growing and developing, there was neither Jew nor Gentile. This was radical. For hundreds, thousands of years, the Jews had been the people who connected with God. The Jews were, were God's people. And suddenly, after Jesus, the doors were wide open. Now there was neither Jew nor Gentile. And in that day, the Jews had to be thinking, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You're telling me that the Gentiles get equal access to God? The Gentiles were like, wait a minute, you're telling us that we've got to start hanging out with those guys? With their weird views and festivals and diets and all the things they do? And Paul was saying that in the eyes of God, all these people were now becoming equal. He goes on, there's neither slave nor free. In the eyes of God, there is neither slave nor free. Slavery back in, in New Testament times looked very different than the slavery that we're aware of in our American history. Our American history is um, a story of slavery where people were, were captured and taken captive and brought from Africa over here. 
a big racial component to it. Well, slavery back in, in biblical times looked a lot different. Slavery was just part of the system. It was part of the world back then. And basically, slavery just defines this, this line between the haves and the have-nots. Those with, with money and influence and those without. Slavery was something that was very easy to fall into. You could be late on your house payment. For whatever reason, you couldn't pay your bills. And I'm sorry now, you are now slave to the owner. You and your family. Late on your horse payment, you become a slave. This was the kind of culture that Jesus was alive in. And suddenly, in this new kingdom... Jesus is saying that the slaves and the free are equal in the eyes of God. This was so disruptive. This was revolutionary teaching in this day. And then he finishes the verse in Galatians 3.28. It says, nor is there male and female. Again, we read these verses and we read them through our 20th century lens, 21st century lens, and, and we don't really realize the impact of what Paul was saying in this new Jesus kingdom. This was turning the world upside down to say something like, in, in the kingdom of Jesus, there is neither male nor female. It was crazy talk. Because this was a society where there was a very clear distinction between male and female because Men had all the power. Women had no power. They were more like property, like possessions back then. In fact, this is a, a culture where when Paul was saying these words and people were reading them, I think there were probably followers of Jesus who were reading this thinking, ooh, I hope my wife doesn't hear about this. <laughs> hey, you don't tell your wife, I won't tell my wife, okay? Deal? Because <laughs> this was revolutionary talk, revolutionary thinking that in the eyes of God, Galatians 3.28, you are all one in Christ. This means one as in no distinction between people. All are of equal value and dignity. And this was so disruptive in the Roman Empire at that time because this wasn't just a, a church thing. This was going against the culture, the society of Rome. And the kingdom of Jesus was turning things upside down. In fact, I love this verse in Luke. This is Jesus talking. And Luke writes this down. Jesus says that the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. He's talking about John the Baptist here. And he's talking about the way things had been up till now. That they'd been following as Jews the law and the prophets. Since that time, and Jesus is talking about now because Luke is writing this years after the death of Jesus. So he understands it now. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing their way into it. This is radical teaching, radical thinking, kingdom of God thinking, and everyone wants a piece of it. Everyone wants to pursue this new lifestyle. The kingdom of teaching of Jesus and Paul, it threatened the empire enough that they felt that Christianity had to be stopped. So we can read both in the Bible and in history that the, the early Christians came under all this persecution. So one would think that the Romans were persecuting the Christians because they were these radical zealots who wanted to overthrow the empire and cause all these problems and that's why they had to suppress them. 
But that wasn't the case. In fact, thanks to archaeology, we've got this incredible artifact. It's a letter that was written in 112 AD from a Roman ruler named Pliny to his supervisor named Trajan. And we can find the, the stone tablets. We can find this letter. And it's a fascinating letter because this letter is the very first, one of the very first pieces of evidence we have of people outside of the church. So this isn't a biblical letter. This isn't written by one of the uh, Matthew, Marks, Luke's, Johns, anything. This is written by a pagan, but it's talking about Christians. And he's writing this letter to this emperor, to his leader, because at the time, the rule was for all the Roman leaders to persecute and arrest and torture and kill the Christians. And Pliny, he can't really figure out why. He understands that's the rule, but he's having a hard time wrapping his head around the idea of why he has to do this. So you can read this letter, you can Google this letter and actually read the translation of what he wrote to his, his boss, his superior. And it's fascinating. Because he basically writes this letter and says, hey, Trajan, I've, I, I'm trying to figure out why we're meant to be arresting and killing these, these Christians. Because I arrested a couple the other week and, and we tortured them a bit and we found, you know, just to find out what it is that they're up to, what it is that they're doing wrong. And, and here's what I discovered. This is in this letter that he wrote. I discovered that they meet on Sundays before light to sing hymns together. That's one of the things that these, these Christians do. They meet on Sunday. So Sunday was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So that was the day they chose to remember that. But Sunday was still a work day. So these people, they didn't get the day off. That's not why they were going to church. Sunday was another day of the week that they would work. So before the sun came up, they would meet together to sing hymns. So imagine if I sent an email this week and said, hey, we're going to change things up. Instead of Sunday mornings, we're going to meet Mondays now, 5 a.m., Come along, we're going to sing some songs together and then you'll all go off to work. I'm not sure how attendance would go. I think our online audience would grow. They sang together because in that day there wasn't really much written down. People couldn't read. So these songs they were singing were reminding them of who Jesus was and what he did. And then Pliny goes on to say, and another thing we found out, so not only do they sing together and meet on Sundays and they'll have a meal together, I also found out that they bind themselves to an oath. This is in that letter that he wrote. So this must be it, right? This oath. I'm sure this oath is why we're rounding them up and arresting them and killing them because this oath is probably something like, we, we declare we're going to overthrow the empire. We're going to take down Rome. We're going to pick up our swords and we're going to make this happen. Now, this is the oath that these first followers of Jesus used to swear together. It was to not commit fraud, theft, or adultery and not falsify their trust. So basically, Pliny finds out that these Christians, they're gathering together to make an oath every week. Hey, this week, I'm going to really try and live right. <laughs> I promise you, I'm going to really try and live right. Well, I promise you, I'm going to live right as well. This is the impact Jesus has had on the lives of these people. And it was changing society. It was changing their morals, their values in a way that no other religion ever had. You see, Christians refused because of their belief in Jesus' teaching to abandon the sick. This was a culture where if you got sick, if your relatives got sick, you cast them out. Because if you kept them around, there's a chance that you might get sick. In these biblical times, these followers of Jesus, they knew when they died, they were going to be together with Jesus again. So they cared for the sick. They put their own health at risk to care for the sick. 
They took in abandoned children. There was a thing back then called infanticide, where if a family had a child that was deformed, or even a child they didn't want, they had a girl they wanted a boy, they could actually take that child and leave it outside the city. And they weren't killing the child, they were just leaving it. If the child survived, it was meant to live, and if it died, it wouldn't. It wasn't. Well, that's not right. And these Christians, they decided, hey, we need to go out and collect these children and raise them as our own. They extended dignity to women and slaves and children. With no territory, military, authority, political power or standing, and a message built around what was considered to be two really kind of weak ideas to love your enemy and love one another, this movement continued to grow. And that movement is still around today. And all of you sat in this room and all of you watching online this morning, you're part of that movement that began 2,000 years ago. And you know what's not around today? The Roman Empire. That came and went, but the church of Jesus, the kingdom of Jesus still lives on. That's why our faith filter must always be ahead of our political filter. Because Jesus' first plan, and still I believe today, his, his plan is that we, as followers of Jesus, as, as people who are part of the kingdom of, the, of Jesus, the church, our plan is to make a difference in this world. We had a great week this week at Connect. We were able to do some really cool things to impact some great organizations in our community. We were able to um, write a check for $1,000 to give to um, Washington Weekend Snack Pack. If you're familiar with that organization, they're a great organization that help um, buy snacks and food for a lot of the families here in this area who are under-resourced families, who they may get food at school, but when those kids get home, they're not guaranteed a meal. So this organization, they they pack these little meals together, these snacks, and they send them home with these kids for the evenings and the weekends, so they get to have food outside of school. And we as a church were able to support them. We also got to write a check this week for $1,500 to my sister's house. I got to go there yesterday and deliver that check. This was them finding out how much the check was going to be for, and then this was them receiving that check. This is a great organization right here in town, my sister's house, where they help single mums get back on their feet. They planned to have this big fundraiser early in the year and they had to cancel it because of COVID. So because of their lack of funds, we stepped in, we've been selling t-shirts and we were able to raise $1,500 through our Build the Church campaign to bless them. So you know what's cool about those two checks we got to write and give to those wonderful organizations this week? What's cool is that the reason we were able to write those checks to give to those local organizations is because of your generosity. If you've ever given here, if you bought one of the t-shirts, if you've supported the ministries of Connect, you helped financially make a difference. I think that's great. Do you know what else is cool? Some of that money that went towards those purchase came from people who are going to vote Republican. And some of that money came from people who are going to vote Democrat. And some of that money came from people who may vote Libertarian. And some of that money came from people who still stand up when they hear God save the Queen plates. So you've got different people from all different backgrounds 
who believe different things, but first and foremost love Jesus and feel like they've been called to make a difference in their local community. That's what I love about the church. And I feel like that's the message that the world is looking for in this divisive, unhealthy time. That there are a group of people who are working hard to listen and learn and love one another. Who understand that sometimes we may disagree politically, but we can still love unconditionally. And because of that, together, we will make our towns better, we'll make our community better, we can make the nation better, we can even make the world better when we choose to be kingdom people first. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning, even though I believe that to be true, sometimes when I say something like that, there's a part of me thinks, well, really? <laughs> can we really make a difference that will impact our community, our nation, the world? Well, 2,000 years ago, there was a guy who lived, who preached some pretty radical thinking, who died, who rose again. Then there was a small group of people who started to gather on Sunday mornings and sing hymns together. And they were so countercultural to the world in which they lived, the way they cared for others, the way they loved others, that others started to join them. And this movement grew. And 2,000 years ago, that movement is still going strong. So yes, I believe with God, all things are possible. But I think it's going to take us starting by saying, I'm going to commit to Jesus first, to his kingdom first, I'm going to allow my faith filter to be put ahead of my political filter. I'm going to choose to love others, my brothers and sisters in Christ, even though if I'm honest, I don't understand why they vote that way. I don't understand why they're not for this or why they are for that. I, I don't know if I understand all of that. But I'm still going to choose to love them unconditionally because I think God's called us as a church to make a difference as kingdom people. So let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you so much for demonstrating 2,000 years ago that empires may rise and fall, but that the kingdom of God will stand forever. Lord, you said that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail. And we're a part of that church today. And Jesus, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, there are times where as a church, as a group of Jesus followers, we can find ourselves being influenced by the negativity of the world. Some of that division, polarization, it can creep into our lives, Lord, and it can affect us. So forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've allowed that to happen. Help us not to be influenced by the world, but Lord, help us to be an influence to the world to show that there truly is a way forward where a group of people can, can think differently, vote differently, but still love unconditionally and be committed to the kingdom of God and making a difference here locally, in our community, in our nation, and in the world. Help us in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.